As the day approaches to celebrate the birth of our nation, we pause to reflect about the true meaning of independence. Welcome to Longleaf Breeze, subsistence farmers using three simple principles, approaching but never reaching subsistence. It's got to be fun while we're doing it, and we don't make all misstatements. And now, Lee and Amanda Borden. Thanks, Adrian. Welcome to our podcast of July the 3rd, 2014. Tomorrow we will celebrate July the 4th, as you probably will. Those of you who are in the United States, if you are in another country, you're wondering what the fuss is about. And we understand. Um, it but is July ex- the 4th is a big deal here. It is a big deal. It's a time for celebration and eating way too much unhealthy food. Although in our case, we hope to be eating some healthy food that we grew. Alongside the unhealthy. Alongside some unhealthy food. And um, ironically, the 4th of July, our Independence Day, comes at a time of the year when I longingly look over across the pond to um, the source of many of the my gen, much of my genetic heritage from the United Kingdom and um, I'm wistful about it because I think about Wimbledon which is going on right now I love Wimbledon I actually got to attend one year the, the tournament and uh, so my Anglophile roots are out Stronger than ever, ever this time of the year. <laughs> but I am celebrating our own Independence Day. You're not it's necessarily true. saying that you wish King George the Third were still our chief executive, but um, but I acknowledge that I love the lifestyle, the culture, so much of the spirit of the people in the United Kingdom, and um, and yes, I I enjoyed the time I spent living there. I hope to go back sometime. So it's it's a I have mixed emotions about it, although I am very proud to be a citizen of the United States. I'm not always proud of everything that happens on the governmental level, but by and large, I'm a a proud patriot, and so I celebrate tomorrow. Yay! Fireworks and all. So our take on independence is to look to our mentor, Sharon Astick, who has written a book called Independence Days, in which she talks a great deal about food preservation and so forth, but she has come up with this Independence Days Challenge, which has basically seven categories, and we thought we would just go through those categories and um, sort of react to what we're doing here that we think is in uh, accordance with some of the suggestions she makes. And I'll, of course, include a link to her page on the show notes page, so you'll be able to go and read along with what she describes and then see how we're responding. And, and those who are listening might actually have their own ways that they are exactly fulfilling what Sharon Astic has in mind. So her seven categories are plant something, harvest something, preserve something, waste not, want not, build community food systems, and eat the food. That last part is the most fun. Yeah. Well, it's interesting what Astic says about it. She says that it it seems trivial, but it's actually a a challenge for some people who are new at home gardening because they're so unaccustomed to what to do with the food. Actually eating it becomes a difficult challenge. 
which in the, it's not a problem for us. Not We're a problem. We're way past that. <laughs> okay, well, so let's uh, begin with plant something. What is it that we have? And, and we're going to try to tell you things we've done very recently, like within the last week or two. I was going to say, because we could go on and on about what we've planted around here. And just all you have to do is listen to our archived past podcasts, and you can hear all about them. But the most recent is um, a second Three Sisters garden. I've gotten the first one going and the beans are up and, you know, the, the, the corn goes in first and the beans and squash later. And those are all, uh, we're not getting any food off of it yet, but it's planted. So you have planted bed number four now? Yes. Okay, great. I did not realize you'd already done that. And we have, um, the, you know, we're not harvesting anything from it, but we're on the plant something category anyway. And, um, also just a variety of peas, beans, um, you know, I'm still putting out, um, I'm a big believer in succession planting, so more tomatoes and uh, more of, probably no more cucumbers. <laughs> I have enough probably cucumbers not to feed an army out there. But um, we continue to do that. And then, of course, we just, uh, I ju- you, well, you actually helped by helping me with the, um, you laid out some plastic, clear plastic to solarize a couple of beds that had weeds growing off, and actually you had um, sort of raised the level of the weeds, and I say raised as in you R-A-Z-E-D. Took, yes, <laughs> um, because the weeds had gotten so furious and tall. that So you got those to a manageable height. They were still nice and green and healthy weeds. So we weakened them for about two or three weeks with the plastic. About a week and a half. A week and a half. Weeks. Yeah, it was actually less than two weeks, believe it or not. And in that length of time... It didn't kill the weeds to have the sun shining on them like that, but it weakened them enough that I much more easily pulled those out of the soil. So now those beds are ready ready for cover crop. Two beds will receive sun hemp today. And uh, the reason I'm putting cover crop in those two instead of a target crop is that I plan for those two to be the beginning of the fall garden. The sun hip, won't, granted, won't get as large or as tall as I would like for it to, as mature, I guess is a better word, um, if it were left to, you know, ha- growing for several months. But it still will do some good and hopefully fix some nitrogen and, most importantly, um, provide biomass and fight the weeds, uh, keep them from coming back. We've talked before about the benefits of sun hemp. It creates these nice big root channels. It keeps the weeds down. And then if we do allow it to mature, it will set nitrogen in the bed, all of which are good things to have happen. And depending on how late I am by pl- in planting my fall garden, it may have a chance to actually set some seed. We just don't know. So let's move on. Oh, not set seed. It will not set seed. Oh, that's true. We don't want it to set seed. Yeah, it may fix some nitrogen. Fix some nitrogen. But beca- and the reason we don't want it to set seed is because it's an invasive yes. species. Not if it native. ever started setting seed, then we would have to stop using it. Uh, harvest something. What have we harvested recently? Oh, a lot. Um, squash, yellow squash from the garden. The um, winter squash is not yet ready for harvest. We have some, uh, well, actually, the only the only winter squash we have at, that's in a fruit stage right now is uh, Blue Hubbard, and it is not yet ready to harvest. Although it is looking very fun. It's nice and big. <laughs> that's right. Um and, of course, we have some that's a little smaller. We have at this uh, Blue Hubbard at various stages. We're getting tomatoes. Most of them I'm having to pull when they're green, um, either because of stink bug damage that's occurring or um, 
because I actually had to do some pruning out there yesterday because the um, the plants had just gotten so huge they were overrunning their um, tomato cages and I, I actually staked some and just some branches broke off and or had to be pruned. So those that had tomatoes, I pulled those. Uh, we're getting lots of blueberries still, especially yeah, from still one bush. Blueberries. Yeah. Blackberries. And, of course, our hens are providing eggs. We're continuing to use those. So that's the harvest something is pretty easy. Cucumbers. Don't forget cucumbers. Oh, okay. yes. And now, peppers. Um, every meal includes cucumber. We, we must eat cucumber with every meal. It's fun to think of ways to eat cucumbers for breakfast, but we'll <laughs> uh, let your imagination go on that. Preserve something. Uh, that was one that was giving me a little trouble, but you immediately thought of what we do with freezing things. Yes. In fact, I've already pulled a few peppers that uh, I, we didn't need to eat right away, especially the jalapenos. I'm saving those for either making pepper sauce or to put in a stew or something, because you and I are both sort of wusses when it comes to really spicy peppers. So um, I don't cut those up on my food or anything like that. But we, so when I harvest one or one falls off the plant, even and we're not ready to use it, I just pop it in the freezer and it's ready for a stew or a, a sauce later on. Um, and we're also talking about making pickles from your cucumbers. Pickles from cucumbers, pepper sauce from peppers as well. I, I neglected to mention that. To me, that is a way of preserving it because you put it in um, apple cider vinegar, makes great pepper sauce. And if you're not from the South, you might wonder what all the fuss is about. But um, our tradition that I happen to enjoy is uh, cooking collard, drink, collard greens or turnips um, or mustard greens, some, even kale and then topping it off with some nice pepper sauce. So we use the peppers for that. And of course, I hope later in the summer when we do the complete harvest to make pepper jelly again. That was really fun. That was fun. I enjoyed it, and we enjoyed sharing it with people. All right, our next category is waste not. Uh, fairly self-explanatory, just things you do to uh, avoid throwing good, valuable things away. And the first one that occurs to me is uh, we had a delightful visit with our book club friends on Sunday at which we served uh, grilled corn on the cob. Right. They Susan, served to us grilled Susan corn brought on the cob. corn on the cob. I mean, brought, yeah, it was corn on the cob that Ben grilled. And then we, uh, when we had the cobs left, I just didn't mind relieving their garbage can of the, uh, well, actually, we, they never made it to the garbage can. I just told Lynn, is it okay if I take these home with us for our chickens? And, of course, they were more than happy not to have corn cobs in their garbage. And the girls just loved them. Picked them absolutely clean. I tell you, there's one, that I, don't, I don't know of anything the chickens love more than corn. Um, and, of course, we have to ration that. We don't want them to eat a steady diet of corn, but. A little bit of corn off a corn cob was fine. Um, last night we had sweet potatoes, and these are sweet potatoes we pulled last September. Right, the end of the summer. Mm -hmm. So we've had them out of the ground and in the root cellar for months now, and they continue to hold up fairly well, although when we cut into one of them, we found a big spoiled area, and uh, that went right into the compost. And of course, the, it's building it up and providing wonderful food for our lovely maggots in the compost. Yeah, we talked about that a little this morning. Some people put earthworms in their compost or, you know, 
because and that does help but we're not doing that because the maggots actually provide very much the same yeah, function don't we're, they we're getting the same benefit from the maggots and they came for free and seem to be a little hardier than the earthworms so uh, we're happy with that uh, you did not want me to say anything about this but i'm going to go ahead and say that we killed a teeny little snake out on the pavilion floor last night uh Adi was just going crazy with this snake, um, we killed the snake and immediately put the carcass in the compost. And I was going to say the reason, it's not that we think composting a snake's a good idea, but it's that um, Adi really, we think if we had buried the body of the snake, that Adi would immediately have dug it up because he'd be able to smell where it You're was. You're probably right. So Adi cannot get into our compost container. <laughs> and, you know, we've had some strange things in our compost before. One time we had an unfortunate possum that ended up in some compost and you know that broke down completely and i i've later i've since spread all of that compost and there was no trace of anything discernible so people will be glad to know that <laughs> <laughs> something else on uh, and this is several days old now but we caught four catfish in our pond we were real proud of them and joe uh, our son cleaned them so we could all enjoy them but we ended up with several uh, hunks of fish guts left over and a few days ago I buried those in bed number four and you've already planted the, the three sisters bed in bed number four so so that, we'll see if that adds enough you know the the, the nutrients that a fish uh, or fish remains provide just uh, incredible considerable mm -hmm. so uh, we think that'll help uh, can we think of anything else oh well there's a lot of you know just the, the act that we the fact that we compost in general, and I think when we give something to the chickens, that goes into their nutritional system, and it's organic, and you know, or we, at least if we're giving them our food, so we we believe that we're keeping our own system healthy, and um, it's a way of avoiding the use of foreign, you know, synthetic kinds of uh, fertilizers, and and so yeah, I think just we'll continue to do what we're doing, which is throwing something in the compost if it is spoiled. We do try to not buy more than we need at a time, but inevitably some container gets pushed back in the back of the refrigerator and you discover it later and, you know, it's turned into some Yeah, I will specimen. state proudly when it's just you and I, that almost never happens. But we've had company a lot lately. Yeah. And so, you know, and I think that's all we need to say about it, except to say that um, we try to be vigilant, but when we do discover something that's gone bad, uh, it's great for the compost. The next category is want not, which is probably the, the most difficult category to understand according to Astic's reasoning. So I refer you to her description, which you will see linked to on the show notes page. It's basically the idea of uh, getting deals whenever you can, conserving whenever you can, uh, making do whenever you can. And one thing that comes to mind immediately for me is our splitter. We pulled our splitter off the uh, pallet rack, and unfortunately I lost control of it, and it tumbled over and turned upside down. Um, with the help of Art at CarQuest in Tallahassee, God bless him, I was able to uh, figure out what needed to be done, unscrewed a spark plug, cleaned out the cylinders, and put in fresh gas, and it started right up. So I felt real proud of that. 
Um, you want to talk a little bit about the outdoor yes, sink? Yes, because um, since part of Astic's idea is getting a deal when you can on something, um, I guess because you don't want to spend more than you have to on it, we are in need of another sink to keep out on Veg Hill because not only do I use it for rinsing off vegetables, kind of a prep sink, but just washing my hands. For example, if I have bug spray on me and I want to wash my hands off, I try to keep hand soap out there so that I can then pick my produce or something. Um, just getting a drink of water. Or just getting a drink of water. And, and also, and I think this also keeps us from wasting, sometimes I just need to water in a few seeds that I put out there or, you know, a plant that I, a little transplant I put in. This time of the year, if you have to drag out the hose every time you need a little bit of water, the hose, if you, anybody who's lived in the South or in, um, in tents, which I guess is, even if you haven't lived in the South, probably even up North this time of the year, the sun's shining on that hose, it's great solar heat, hot water comes out. <laughs> so you don't want to spray hot, hot water on your plant. So then I have to run the water for a while to get it to cool off before I can use it. Um, and you end up wasting I'm water. I'm wasting water and I'm wasting power yeah. from the well. So we, when we have this utility sink sitting out there, it's great. I just take a um, a watering can and turn the tap water, and there is no hot water. Only cold water comes out anyway, and get what I need, and it's immediately cold. So it's just great to have it. Anyway, we've looked around, and um, the one we had, of course, is it's five years old, and it sat out there in the elements for so long it was just falling apart it's plastic i'm sure very cheaply made um but we decided to go look at a stainless steel sink that was on the premises of someone and uh it was used so we thought we might get great we said hey that'll get the job it was obviously uh you know redeployed from someplace and the guy wanted seven hundred dollars for it okay i don't think so so you you went to ebay and tell about your deal that you and found. And found a much, not nearly so nice, stainless steel sink. But it's a stainless steel sink, and we think it'll get the job done, and I'll have to jerry-rig some kind of support for it when it gets here. But we ended up paying $75 for the sink and the faucet. And shipping, too. Right? And shipping. Yeah. yeah that, the whole thing is $75. So we felt like, okay, we can afford that. Uh, so that's due here uh, in the next few days, and mm-hmm. we'll set that up when it gets here. The final category under want not for me is our attempting to do more of our own propagation. Uh, most of our plants, particularly in the orchard, have come from petals from the past. And they do a great job with their uh, propagation. They do give us great plants, but they're kind of expensive. So what we're trying to do whenever we can, when we need another one, is propagate what we already Mm -hmm. have. Well, and and same with our blueberries, and many of those we got from George Brown um, at Okachoy Farm. And same thing, where, you know, when a shoot comes up, and you've been attempting to try to propagate blueberries, too. Actually, I've not tried to propagate blueberries. You tell me you plan to. George, bless his heart, charges us so little for the blueberries, I was thinking I would just buy his plants. Um, In fact, we'll see him later this week, so we should find out about that. We may uh, just get our plants from him. But my point is it's possible to do that. Exactly. It is possible. And uh, right now I'm focused on propagating a Nesbitt muscadine because we lost a Nesbitt out on the orchard, and I'm trying to uh, get another one started to do that. And and I'm continually trying to propagate as well. Um, my good friend Jane McCarthy told me that it was really easy to root basil and water. I'd never tried it before. Did it, 
she was absolutely right. I had some basil growing out. In fact, I have a big basil plants growing out in the in ve on Veg Hill. I rooted some, set it out. It's doing fine. I rooted some more, gave it to a friend who wanted some. I'm rooting some more now. So um, I'm getting sort of brave and about basil's propagation. not cheap. So it is you not. You buy it at the uh, you know the, when you buy plants. So that's great. In that fact, it's very difficult to find basil that's in you know the little the small cell packs. They want to sell you a four dollar four-inch pot, and I don't need that anyway. So rooting my own, and of course, I've started it from seed before too, but this year is the first time I've tried rooting it, and it's doing great. Okay, next category is build community food systems, and uh, I guess the one that comes to mind for me is you're working in the learning garden at the Extension Office. Yes, in fact, one thing that came to mind for me about this entire category is Sharon Astick's talking about Independence Day. I would say Interdependence Day. Yes. I is agree. another word we should be uh, putting out there because the learning garden is a great example of our group working together and sharing ideas with each other, sharing, you know, we're all willing to experiment and pull for the team effort so um, and work together, weed each other's gardens, weed our own gardens. We, we, we've adopted different members of our a master gardener group have adopted raised beds, and we take care of that. We share food with each other from those our little gardens and um, share in the upkeep of it. And uh, we all rejoice together when something works well. And we've had one experiment that worked great this past year, past season. Uh, we pl we had some weed suppressant, you know, weed fabric down on the uh, floor of the garden. Admittedly over where we have planted a cover crop of lupin, so it had great soil underneath, left a little strip, this is Mary McCrone's idea to do this, left a little strip just open. We planted, and I did a lot of the planting there, of the um, some pumpkin seeds, some watermelon seeds, some squash seeds. Now it's unbelievable. You go out there and from that one little strip where the plants germinated, there it covers all of that black plastic and there's there are watermelons on the vine and squash on the vine and pumpkins on the vine well i don't see pumpkins yet but i've been seeing the squash and it's exciting uh another category or another uh item under this category is the tours that we have of veg hill and the orchard with various folks who come to see us here at longleaf breeze We've had uh, a big family reunion, and we took the family members around and showed them what was going on. Had a delightful visit with the Herb Society the right, other day. Right, Alabama uh, Old Town Herb Society. Mm -hmm. And then um, one of our friends from the Herb Society brought her family back to see it. And we enjoy doing that. We think that's part of our effort to help the community food system because everybody who comes here learns something. And frequently, we learn something from them when they're walking around and they're making observations and so forth. Right. So we've enjoyed that. And also our church. I'm very proud of what um, Episcopal Church of the Epiphany is doing in Tallahassee. We have a beans and rice ministry, and I think we've talked about it here before. Beans and rice and so much more. And so much more. And it's really building a community food system because our people who are working with the ministry um, and, and people support it in so many different ways. Uh, St. Dunstan's and Auburn, as well as our own church members, uh, give generously to funding what we what we purchase. And then we also have um, and some food donations coming in. But um, our main way of doing this, of course, is going to the Montgomery Food Bank, buying in bulk 
and then distributing it to the people who really need it. It's a good way for caring, a good way of caring for the community. I agree. And uh, finally, this podcast, we think, is part of building community food systems because we're trying mm-hmm. to um, disseminate the information we've learned about how to become more self-sufficient, and I think we're doing it well. So yeah. I'm excited about that. Okay, last category is eat the food. The one we said was the most fun for us. And uh, so let's start with what we did last night. We had those sweet potatoes we talked about, which, again, are several months having been stored in the root cellar, but they're still good. Mm-hmm. And some squash that came from our very own garden mixed in with some tomatoes and onion from our very own garden. And I think this kind of harkens back to the previous category. Um, my friend Virginia Pruitt, who's one of our master gardeners in central Alabama, brought some rattlesnake beans from her garden that she shared and so we ate those for dinner last night thank you virginia they were delicious and one of the nice folks in the herb society brought with her a pound cake when they came to see us back on saturday and it was good too. it was delicious Wonderful. almond pound cake we were not able to eat all of it on saturday but we took the remaining portion of it to the book club on sunday served it with some bluebell ice cream we bought at the store and some of our own strawberry jam we had put up last summer. That's that didn't. It tastes more like a nice compote than jam. So yeah, it's not not sweet it at was all. Perfect well, for it's topping. Only the, sweetened with the strawberry mm-hmm. um, sweetness. But it was perfect. And Carolyn, your pound cake was wonderful. And that the cake had enough sweetness that it compensated for the strawberries not being super sweet. Bottom line, it was a terrific combination. So that's our. Um, quick run through in the Independence Days. We hope July the 4th is a wonderful day for you. Uh, If you are here in the United States, you will be celebrating in all likelihood if you are in some other country. Um, Hope it's a good day anyway. Take care. We'll look forward to visiting with you next week. You've been listening to Longleaf Breeze with Lee and Amanda Borden. You can call the farm at 334-625-8682. Send email to letters at longleafbreeze.com. Our address is P.O. Box 780-446, Tallahassee, Alabama, 36078. Visit us at longleafbreeze.com to learn more about the farm, to browse our archive, and to look over our planting database. You can also read the daily farm log and check in with Lee and Amanda. That's longleafbreeze.com.